Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. G'day everyone, my name is Dave and I want to welcome you to yet another episode of the Think Orange podcast coming to you from the Think Orange bunker, which is currently located on the Sunshine Coast of Australia. Now, as always, our goal for this podcast is to encourage, inspire, and resource you by giving you access to the speakers, thought leaders, and experts who are rethinking and reimagining the way ministry can be done. And we are so excited about this episode because we get to give you a glimpse into the conversations we've been having at our one-day event around the U.S. called Orange Tour Limited. Our team has loved being able to gather face-to-face with church leaders across the U.S. and learning from each other. Now, because COVID has forced these stops to have very limited capacity, I'm so glad that we get to share pieces of these conversations right here on the Think Orange podcast. So today, you're going to be hearing from Reggie Joyner, our founder and CEO, Kristen Ivey, the president of Orange, and Darius Daniels, the lead pastor of Change Church, which has campuses in New Jersey, Georgia, and Florida. Darius holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi, a Master of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological Seminary in Princeton, New Jersey, and a Doctorate of Ministry degree from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. So Darius is obviously super smart, and as a lead pastor, he brings a unique viewpoint on how he shifted to prioritize next-gen ministry in his church and how his own kids have helped him continue to value family ministry first. So let's go to the tape and check out this conversation. I love something that happened a few years ago when Darius actually spoke at our first Orange Conference. The reason I think it's so important is because sometimes you need to give something to your elders or something to your deacons or something to a lead pastor or something to decision makers to go, hey, this is why it's important for family ministry or kids ministry or youth ministry to matter in our church because he did such an amazing job of presenting. And it's kind of part of your story. Part of your story was, as you were evaluating your church, you came to this epiphany about what you needed to do in relationship to youth or kids. And I'm gonna write, I'm gonna put on the board right here what you said, one of the things you said, we had a decision to make, I had to make a decision that we could not delegate the care of the next generation to one department. As an organization, we needed to be willing to invest energy and take the brightest minds that were a part of our community and say, how can we all contribute to advancing what God wants to do in the next generation? That, this was kind of a learning moment in your organization. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, so you know, I wish it was, and I don't know how good a job I did in connecting the two realities in the message, but it was kind of a, quote unquote, a pastoral epiphany that came out of a parental experience. Oh, wow. And so my oldest son, so, you know, the Northeast, New Jersey, isn't, born in Mississippi, kind of Bible Beltish, New Jersey, not so much. And so he would be like the only Christian in any of his spaces. Wow. And um, so he had this personal crisis of faith in his early teens. Mm. So that just kind of really rocked my wife and I 
as parents, you know? And uh, long story short is, and I talk about this in the message, God just used the, the church at large, like big C church, not just our local church, like people who were believers who would just make investments into his life That's and amazing. just responding to an urge or an impulse. And, you know, and they did that. And so my experience with my son as a parent led me to think about what are some of the experiences of parents in our church? And how good a job are we doing as a spiritual family to look at the people who are part of our congregation and say, we know your children are the most important thing wow. to you. We want you to know as a church family, we want them to be also the most important thing to us. So that meant some reallocation of resources. That meant a cognitive shift for me as a leader to say, caring for this next generation isn't just the job of the student pastor. So good. We need the entire church family mm -hmm. to come alongside the teams and the parents to invest in the future of the church. So for me, it was a matter of I can't say I you can't go ahead about. And clap. I heard you <laughs> trying to clap there. You can do that. Yeah, I couldn't say as a leader I care about the future of the church if I wasn't willing to invest time, talent, and treasure into the future of the church. As a matter of fact, if you were a lead pastor and you were having a conversation and you started bringing up prioritizing for kids and youth, and you would ask me what you should do, I would probably say, well, let me see your budget. Because mm -hmm. I'd want to see how across the board your budget is allocated. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I, I, I mean this with everything in my heart to you as a leader who's working in youth space or kid space. That responsibility, I don't think, is on the lead pastor first. I think it's on your part to do your homework to present to the lead pastor solutions and ideas so you can be the champion that raises the flag. You're doing what you do in this moment so you can be the expert on the front lines to say to the leaders who are making decisions, this is why and this is what and this is what it looks like. I remember Andy Stanley when I you know, worked for the decade with Andy one time, he said, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. The best thing you can ever do for your lead pastor is to bring them solutions and to do your homework so they know this isn't just something you, know, you want, but you really are doing your homework. You also, this is another thing you said, you said you had to examine whether my proclaimed, I love this statement, my proclaimed pastoral values were actually priorities. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Well, I think even in our lives, it's possible to have something that's a proclaimed value that's not necessarily an actual priority. And so if you were to ask me at that point, as a senior leader, is the next generation a priority? I'd be like, of course. I love the next generation. I believe in the next generation. That's preaching right there. Yeah, that's know, all it is, is preaching. Yeah, yeah I, anyway, I'm just... Yeah. And so, but when I looked at, I mean, frankly, like the way we were allocating resources, the way we were investing in developing people that actually serve in that department. Uh, you know, I want to be as transparent as possible here. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this. This was years ago, but, you know, it had been probably years since I had even had any kind of face-to-face -face interaction with the volunteers in that department. Oh. 
I was leading them primarily through the staff. And, um, but that wasn't the case in some other areas, right? So long story short, that was, I just saw dissonance there. I just had to get honest with myself as a leader. And, um, and it was tough. That was one of the most challenging seasons for me pastorally. I had listening sessions with volunteers. I heard things from them that kind of broke my heart pastorally. They felt under, under supported. They felt not as prioritized in terms of the, kind, the things we give pulpit time to and things of that nature. And so we listened to them and we tried to shrink that gap between what we say was a value and what's an actual priority. And so we're still working on it, but I'm very proud of where we are now and, and how our church is coming alongside trying to serve the, the message you did at Orange Conference, I had so many leaders ask me if they could send it, if they could get a copy and send it to the decision makers in their church or some of the decision makers. And it has been a gift to our organization. I love the fact that it was your children, though, and the heart of a dad that pushed you mm-hmm. to reimagine that area in ministry. I remember a children's pastor of a mega church coming to me one day and they didn't have a lot of emphasis in their children's ministry. They had had it one time, but it had kind of dwindled. And I said, so what are you praying for? How can I help you pray? And she said, well, I'm just praying for my lead pastor to have grandkids. <laughs> because there is an out of sight, out of mind thing, if we're honest. Yeah. And I remember, listen, trust me, I remember when Andy's kids moved into middle school, he all of a sudden was interested in our youth ministry in a brand new way. Because it does change. It does. It does. Yeah. I also think that's why it's important to get around families who are different than our own. Um, because also, Darius, when you were talking about you had this new found interest and, you know, what was a family's experience in your church? Then when we start engaging with families that don't look like our own, we begin to see those blind spots as well. Because we could program our ministries to meet the needs of our own family and still fail to meet the needs of a lot of the families in our community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I'm a student pastor, youth pastor, or kids pastor, and you're my lead pastor, what would you say to me? What, what do you want me to do, and how do you want me to lead, and how do you want me to interact with you? There are going to be a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I would tell you, and I don't know if this applies to the majority of senior pastors, but I'm going to say it's a fair share in my experience. One of the first things I'm going to say to you is I want you to be assertive with me. Like, I'm always going to be respectful and honorable with you, and I want you to be that same way with me, but I want you to be assertive, assertive because I do want you to understand that sometimes there can be some unintentional dissonance between my actions and my priorities. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things are going You're on. Thinking big picture. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking big picture. I want you to be assertive with me and honest with me, one, about the state and the condition like of you and your team. I want to know how you're doing. It's good. How's the team doing? And what we can do to support you better. Mm-hmm. Two, I want to know, I want you, I'm trusting you to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the life of these kids. Because at least for me, and I know this is in everybody's context, but for me, I also want to contribute in the area of ideation. I want to be a thinking partner with you. That's good. So I want you to do some thinking, right? But I want to be a thinking partner with you in terms of how we might be able to address some of these issues because they might be, he might be thinking or she might be thinking on a micro level. I'm thinking on a macro level saying there, are, there might be relationships we can utilize 
kingdom collaborations that we can make, maybe with outside entities in the community to address some of these issues. And I might be able to bring some of those people to the table that he or she couldn't. So those would be the the two things I want you to be, but it's all, I would encourage them, man, be assertive. That's great. I'm going to add two things to what he just said, and we're going to break and come back and have a wrap up because we're going to get into some volunteerism and some other stuff in this next session and talk about you personally as a leader. I would say minimize surprises. When the lead pastor gets surprised by a decision or something that they weren't expecting, they didn't understand, and they're caught off guard, that puts them in, a, in an awkward situation. So communication and the partnership there is, is huge. If, if you say, well, I don't even know that my lead pastor is that interested, I still feel like you should take the initiative to make sure you're handing them the information to try to minimize surprises. The second thing I would say to add to his is that public loyalty earns private influence. Mm. Assertive, that's a gift. For you to be able to speak your mind and say what you, you, you feel in the context of that relationship is huge. If you take it outside that relationship and you go public with that and all of a sudden you have you know, kind of a moral imperative, you put him or her in a situation that makes it difficult for them, yeah. then that erodes your private influence. So public loyalty in that sense earns you private influence. Anything you want to add? Uh, I think practice the same level of empathy that you are hoping for when you approach senior leadership, which means thinking ahead of time, like uh, what could be, what might be the most generous explanation for whatever decision you don't understand, uh, what concerns might the senior leader have for the sake of the whole. Uh, Practice, you know, Big picture, try to imagine big picture for a minute. If there's a particular thing in your ministry that's not, you know, being supported well, thinking about, you know, well, the senior leaders care, cares about this and this and this and the other 15 things and going in with just that level of empathy first and giving a space for a senior pastor to go, okay, well, here's why or to respond back. Because uh, I think assumptions are the thing that erode trust really fast. I will um, kind of wrap with this, this thought and maybe a story, depending on watching my clock here. <laughs> um, I was listening to Patrick Lencioni years ago talk about how we lead. And he said something, and it, it, was, it was this one little piece of information in this long message that he was doing. But when he said this one piece, I said, stop, stop. I wanted to go, let's just talk about that for a second. And here's what he said. He said, if my father had had a better boss, he would have been a better dad. What that suggests and what that means is when you translate some of this to your teams that you're leading and your volunteers that you're leading, how you lead can impact their families personally. And we have this responsibility to not only guard our ministry and what we're trying to do for families, but also to guard what we're trying to help families win and parents win in their own spaces too. Your kids in your church and your teenagers in your church, they need their parents to win. And you every week have an opportunity to make their parents or to help their parents, to support their parents toward a win that will help the student or the teenager in ways that you've never imagined. One of the best gifts that you can give them 
is not simply the power of your message. We've talked about that. It's not simply a resilient faith. There's a part of that too. But it's helping their mom and dad or guardian or grandparent or whoever has that parental role win. I have this one moment in the last couple of years because I volunteer in this little rural town that has about 2,500 people in the town and I work in this space where one of the girls who graduated valedictorian or actually salutatorian was trying to get her way into college and she finally got a partial scholarship and we put the money together to help her and she ended up with $1,500 that she said she wasn't worried about because her dad told her that he would give her that. And so we're moving toward the fall when she's getting ready to go to college. I get a phone call in June and she's emotional. I can't tell what's going on until finally she just says to me, she says, my dad is not going to give me the 1500 that I need. He went and bought a motorcycle and he and mom are getting a divorce. And I remember in my emotional state, because I'm an emotional man, I, I said, you know, I, I want to meet with your dad not to chastise or condescend or anything. I, I just wanted to explain to him. But I said to her what any of you would say. Don't worry about the 1500 We will figure it out. And here's what she said. I don't need you to give it to me. I need my dad to give it to me. Because there's something in a kid or teenager when you can spark, when you can light that spark, to help a dad or a mom or a guardian take one step in a, in, a, in a direction, it can be a bigger impact and influence than a hundred Sundays. You just gotta believe that and you gotta live like that and you gotta think like that. How are we gonna help these parents win? This is a big issue. Let's move it outside of just Sunday morning programming. Let's expand our definition of Sunday and let's think bigger. Well, I absolutely love that challenge for all church leaders to think bigger because partnering with parents outside the walls of our church and helping parents to win in their everyday experiences with their kids makes such a lasting impact. And hey, if you're in the US and you're interested in joining us at an Orange Tour Limited stop this year for conversations just like this one, check out orangetour.org to find a city near you. Well, as always, if this episode was helpful, we'd love if you gave us a review and star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And once again, thank you so much for setting some time aside in your busy ministry week to join us right here on the Think Orange podcast. My name is Dave Adamson. And remember, when you think next generation or church strategy, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com. Thank you.